Blog Talk Radio. to the way we approach the altar. We have to show 
humility. That is essentially the meaning of don't move closer, remove your sandals. So, reverence, humility, respect, honor, fear of the Lord, all these things. Separateness, noting that this is a separated place. This is not common ground. Today I want to move on and share some two conversations which are very important that will help to make us understand even better this visitation that has come into the house of the Lord. I want to share on a tremendous visitation when the Lord showed me the rapture of the church and how the rapture will take place. The description of the rapture of the church is indeed in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17 which I can read though as we begin. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17. Hallelujah. Again, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17. That is the scripture that defines the rapture of the church, the day of the wedding of the Lamb or the coming of the Messiah, whichever way you put it. And it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Again, three things. He says, For the Lord himself will come down with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. As I stand here, I have heard all of them. I know how the trumpet will sound. I know how the voice will announce. And I know the command the archangel will give. I have heard. The Lord has made me hear it. I know every detail, even the letter, the word. The words that will be used on that day. That is just how real this has become to the church today. Hallelujah. So I know every word that will be spoken on that day. And that's why I am sharing these things with you that you may know that behold, now our deliverance has grown nearer than when we first believed. Hallelujah. Now it will take place. The Messiah will come for the church. And I always tell people, when that day will happen, then I will dance to the Lord. Because I will say, look, this is what I meant. That will be a very powerful day. I will now say, look people, this is what I meant. And I hope I will not be there to tell you that. I hope you will have been taken. Because I have also seen the events after the rapture of the church. Hallelujah. And so, he says here, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, the Lord himself. He says, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And then he says, that's the very important part now, he says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he goes on to say, 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So that is essentially the scripture that describes the mechanism, how it will take place. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3 also describes describes the rapture of the church. Going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare, I will come back to take you, that you may also be there where I am. Isaiah 26 also describes the rapture. Because Isaiah says, Go, my people, after the glory comes, the morning dew. He says, Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you for a little while. That little while is essentially the seven years after rapture. And then after that, Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 on takes place when now they are coming back to Jerusalem. When I was reading and sharing with you on the vision of the wedding rings, you remember in that vision, the second part, look and see who is seated on the white horse, the second part of that vision. If you look at that entire vision, it's actually from the book of Revelation 19. Because you see the first part, we talks of the wedding of the Lamb. And then you see from verse 11 on, which now talks of the events after the rapture. Again, let me make it clear here. In verse 8, you see that fine linen, bright and clean, was given the church to wear. And right now, as we talk, we are dealing with the requirements of verse 8. Revelation 19 verse 8. Which requires that we have finest linen, lino finissimo, finest linen, bright and clean. That is what we are preparing today. And the power of preparing that is that when you look at after the rapture, when now the Messiah has gone with the church into heaven and is coming with her to Jerusalem, and I've seen those events, including the earthquake that strikes Jerusalem. Listen to this. Verse 8 is the garment we are preparing today. We are preparing it that when the groom comes, we are ready. We are not found unaware. Verse 8. That's where we are today. That's why I have come. I have come that righteousness may be prepared in your salvation. That is the garment. But now look at this now. From verse 11 on, he talks about the white horse. So, verse 14, you see now, after the rapture, the church is coming from heaven to Jerusalem with the Messiah. And look, they are still wearing finest linen, bright and clean. And that means the consequences of this meeting here today are eternal. And that means, if you will decide to prepare your garment today, in this session here, and stop the immorality, and clean out the lies, the nudity, open chests for the women in the church, the men also, they do their sucking trousers or whatever, immorality, lust, sexual lust, name it, and love of money, false prophecy, whatever, false tongues, false tongues. This rabba rabba shakarakarabba, rabba shakarakarabba, that false tongue. There are only two tongues. Either you are speaking enabled by the Holy Spirit, 
or you are speaking the tongues of the devil. <laughs> Let me make this clear again. There are only two tongues. Either you speak the tongue that is of the Lord from the Holy Spirit or you're speaking from the devil. There is no in between. And that's why I said in the prophecy that Jesus himself gave in Matthew 25, which we are going to handle later today as I discuss the clock of God, the Lord in heaven has shown me the clock in heaven. I'm going to share it here today. I know the time inside heaven, the clock of God. Not even the Messiah knows that time. Not even the angels. That's what the Bible says. So I'm going to share it today here. For the time is inside heaven. And the Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour. So it will be interesting to know what the message is. Hallelujah. But listen to this now. In that prophecy in Matthew 25, when Jesus talked about the coming of the Messiah, the rapture of the church, he said there will be two churches. One, the foolish virgins, designated by the foolish virgins, and then the other church represented by the wise virgins. And he says, the wise virgins have the anointing oil. They have the olive oil. They have the Holy Spirit. The foolish virgins have nothing. But what amazes me is this. The foolish virgins at one point go to buy oil. Be careful now. They go to the shops, to the world, to buy oil. How can you buy the Holy Spirit? And they come back with their lamps burning. Did you understand me? Even if they find the door closed, they come back with their lamps burning. So that raises a major question. Could it be that there are two lamps burning in the church? Did you understand me now? That raises a very fundamental question. Could it be that the Lord was saying, that in as much as there will be two churches, so will there be two types of lamps burning in the church? The first lamp being the lamp that is genuine, the genuine anointing of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The lamps that are burning from the genuine anointing of the Holy Spirit, they will give the true prophecy of God. The same anointing will give the true tongues of the Holy Spirit in the church. But, the lamps that are burning from the boat oil, the other oil, they will give the false prophecy in the church. There is only one voice. There must be only one voice in the church. The voice of the Lord. When Paul was coming from Thessaloniki, and he came all the way to Caesarea Philippi. There was a meeting like this. And inside there was seated the prophet of the Lord. One of the prophets was sitting there. And when Paul entered, the thing about this kind of calling, you get to know a lot of things before you come. When Paul entered, he took him and began to tie his hands, tie him around. And then, he asked him, Jerusalem, are you still going? And Paul laughed. Paul was amused. He said, but I saw that vision before I left Thessaloniki. I saw the same vision. 
And so that if I go to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested. And that's when he says, Jerusalem, I am still going. That means the same Holy Spirit was speaking to the two of them the same language. Right? Did you understand me? He gave the same vision to Paul as he gave the same vision to the prophet that was sitting here. But today, after I leave this place, someone is going to come here and tell you that this is the hour to prepare for financial wealth transfer from the world to the church. How can there be two messages from the same God? How? Did you understand me now? So let us be careful. The Lord Jesus prophesied this. He said there would be two lumps. I don't want to dwell on that. I just wanted to recap on what is going on. But anyhow, you see verse 16 describes the rapture of the church. Verse 17 is furthering of that description. And so now, I want to look at a very important conversation and the role of this glory in this conversation. And then I will tie it up with three more visions. One happened this year, May 4th. The second one, May 5th. The third one, May 7th. He skipped 6th and he spoke to me on 7th. 4th, 5th, 7th. I will tie those two together. So we may see the role of this glory. Can I describe this vision to you? Now, in this conversation, that was the year 2005, way back, I think nine years ago. And that was uh, November 25th, if I remember very well. I had gone to do a meeting at the border between Kenya and Tanzania at a place called Kehancha. Then in the morning at about five o'clock, the Lord came to speak with me about the coming of the Messiah. Let me describe this vision, then I'll give you the deeper understanding of it. In this conversation, the Lord lifted me up above the earth. And when he lifted me up above the earth, I could see the earth. I was able to see the earth. And from where he had lifted me up, when I looked at the earth, I wondered, I thought that an earthquake, a massive earthquake had hit the earth because of what I was seeing from where I was. I was seeing a tremendous shaking of the surface of the earth and rocks jumping off the surface and dust. So I thought, wow. A huge earthquake has hit the earth. Only later I realized it was not an earthquake. Because I saw the glory of the Lord from where he had lifted me. That had hit, hit the earth. Hit. And then I saw he must have slowed it for me. The Lord must have made it very, very slow for me to be able to understand it. And then I saw People in their glorious bodies coming out of their tombs. And the first part, when they came out of their tombs, so that was the movement, the opening of tombs. It was not an earthquake. The first part, when they just came out of their tombs in their glorious bodies, the glory that beheld the surface of the earth was mixed with dust, at least from where I was lifted. The glory and the dust were together. 
Though I could see them in their glorious bodies coming out like this. And then after that, the more they went up and up, the more they went to the pure glory of the Lord. Pure glory. And then I saw them unite with the Lord and the cloud came and covered them in. Hallelujah. I'm going to describe to you what that means. And then the voice spoke. The voice said, and the majority of them have remained in the dust of the earth. And I think that is where the message is now. Where he says, and the majority of them have remained. I think that is the message. Have remained in the dust of the earth. Hallelujah. And so, as I went on, then I realized that the Lord had shared the same vision with Daniel the prophet and also with Isaiah the prophet. Over time, I have understood why when the Lord was calling me, and in this calling it was tremendous when he placed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Can I share some things? When the Lord was calling me, I will share some deep things. And he brought me to the throne room. Then he placed the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the ark of the new covenant, right in front there. And I saw the two cherubim of glory that carried the ark. And then, listen to this now. On one side of the mercy seat was seated Moses, the man of God. And his garment had the huge blue stripes. And then, on the same side, Next to Moses was seated Elijah, the mighty prophet of the Lord. But on the other side alone was seated Daniel, the end-time prophet of the Lord. So sometimes I've wondered why Daniel was sitting alone on this side. You know, sometimes you wonder, you ask questions. And many events take place, the lightning, the strikes, the Bible inside the earth and all that. We may not discuss that now. But listen to this. Over time, I have understood. Because some of the Daniel events, he has shown me quite a bit. Almost all of them now. And this is one of them. Then I understood, oh, no wonder Daniel was seated there also. Hallelujah. Some of the Moses events, I have seen quite a bit. And the other event also. Okay? Hallelujah. Now I understand why they were sitting there. I found out that the Lord had shared with Daniel on the rapture of the dead. And now he was showing it to me. Like he showed me the rock that came and struck the statue, a huge mountain, all that. I've seen quite a bit of Daniel's visions, a lot of them. But in this case, the rapture of the dead. But I want to make a difference here. When Daniel was being briefed by the Lord on the events of this hour, on the rapture of the church, and especially this one, the rapture of the dead, the Lord did something interesting. He showed him the two resurrections, which we are going to, I'm going to split for you now, the two resurrections. Hallelujah. Can we read first? So you may be on the same page. Hallelujah. If you prepare in righteousness, you enter. Sometimes the throne 
of God is very fearful. You need to know these things. You're going to worship before the throne, right? Like when the Lord brings me to the throne and releases the first horseman, the second horseman, the third one. There are tremendous events that take place there before they are released. There are creatures that come from the throne. Some of you may not look at those creatures even once, right? It's always important to know. The book of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. We are reading from verse 1 to verse 4 and then I will read further on later. Daniel chapter 12, precious people. This is what he says here. He says, at that time, Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise. He says, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. He's talking about distress. And then he goes on to say, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Now, before we continue, look at these precious people. When the Lord spoke to Daniel about the rapture of the church, which we are going to see from verse 2 to verse 3, and the instruction that the Lord is resonating from there, when he did so, then he also showed him the tremendous unequal distress. That can be whole summon, the distress of this hour, the full summon. You see even Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 7, I think up to 8, he mentions the distress and he says, these are the beginning of bad pains. Meaning there is a distress that is coming. Even the global economic crisis that I prophesied all over is just a precursor, a preamble, a beginning of a more severe economic crisis after the church is taken. Hallelujah. And I'm going to discuss with you that later. So he's talking about a distress, a severe distress. Now look at what he sees in verse 2. In verse 2 he says, again now, before we go to verse 2, he introduces two things. He talks about a severe distress, and then he introduces a book. You see that? He says, and, but everyone whose name is found written in the book, he now talks about a book. We are going to handle this book today. I'm going to give you the totality of the message the Lord is speaking to the church in this vision. That book. We're going to look at which book is it? The book of life? We'll go through everything in detail today. However, let's go to verse 2 and see what Daniel saw. 12 verse 2 he says, he says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Have you seen that now? Daniel now sees the resurrection of the church. But it's amazing to me that Daniel sees two resurrections. The two of them at the same time. He's saying resurrected, some to everlasting life, some to shame and judgment. So, which means Daniel is able to see the two resurrections. When the Lord showed me the church at the throne, but the other part of that vision, there were two. 
The other part of that vision was the prophecy that came forth and spoke about the bloodshed in the Arab world, the release of the pale horse. So sometimes when the Lord speaks, He brings them together. He brings those visions together. And really, really, you need so much help from the Lord to open up, to discern. For me, I feared one thing. I feared to tell people that, you know what? You wait for the bloodshed first before the rapture of the church. That is a problem. Because the Bible says, nobody knows the day or the hour. You understand? So you cannot give people a particular spiritual landmark and tell them to wait for this, that when you see it, then the rapture. You can make them fail to enter. Hallelujah. And I saw discussions in the web to that extent. But it was difficult for me to separate the two. That's the message I want to bring to you. Daniel saw the two resurrections. He saw those resurrected for the glorious kingdom of God. For rapture. And then he saw those resurrected for judgment. And yet I want to tell you here that when now the rapture is near, for me, the Lord shows me only those resurrected for rapture. And then the voice said, and the majority of them have remained in the dust of the earth. I want to submit to you today here that there is a gap between the two resurrections. Can we first share the rapture? And then you will understand, right? You need to get these things very clearly. That's why I am here. Hallelujah. Amen. The church has to be mature, right? Yes. Thank you very much. He says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some for everlasting life. You see the first group. And then he says, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those heading for damnation, right? Look at what he says, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I'm beginning now to open up this message to you. He's saying that there will be two resurrections. That's what Daniel is saying. In this first resurrection, among those resurrected, he sees one group that goes into heaven, that is raptured. And he sees another group that goes into judgment. But when you go to verse 3, he sees now this group that is resurrected for rapture is in two subgroups. Hallelujah. And he sees one subgroup, they are resurrected for rapture, but he says they are the wise. He calls them the wise. And they shine like the brightness of the heavens. Hallelujah. Again, let me read it for you so you understand. He says, verse uh, 3, he says here, he says, those who are wise, will shine like the brightness of the heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Have you seen the two subgroups? Again, let me repeat this very clearly. When Daniel, when the Lord was briefing Daniel, Daniel is an end-time prophet. 
Daniel is the end time prophet of the Lord. We need to all know that. That one we cannot discuss, right? Hallelujah. If we do not know, now you know. That's why Daniel was seeing the events of today from then. Hallelujah. And he was writing them down. And as Daniel was seeing today's events from that time, Daniel saw the rapture of the dead. The Lord shared with me the visions of Daniel, and this is one of them. But for me, when the rapture is now near, the Lord showed me only those who are resurrected for rapture. However, Daniel saw the two resurrections. He saw those who are resurrected for rapture and those resurrected for judgment. And he says, among those resurrected for rapture, everlasting life, he sees two subgroups. He saw two subgroups. He saw those who are wise. And he said, those who are wise were shining like the brightness of the firmament, of the sky, of the heaven. And then he says, however, the other subgroup is those who lead many into righteousness. Now, for them he sees that they are brighter than the wise. They are now shining like the stars forever and ever. If you look into heaven, the stars shoot out. They are brighter than the rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what is the message there? That's what I want to work with you now on. There are a few things that Daniel mentions there which are very important for the church. He talks about the great distress of the hour. He talks about there is, but you are people, everybody, there is a my people, there is an elect, the my people church. Hallelujah. Again, he sees the distress, he sees a special elect called my people, you are people. And then, number three, he then sees the resurrection for rapture, the rapture of the church. And in that resurrection, he sees two resurrections, for everlasting life, for judgment. And then further on, he sees two subgroups among those resurrected for eternal life. Those who are wise, and that's what we're going to look at today, and those who lead many into righteousness. So what is Daniel talking about here? You could essentially say he is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. You can say he's talking about the rewarding of the church. We are, we are going to come to that. Hallelujah. Now listen, precious people. Let us begin everything from square one. When the Lord showed me this conversation, only those resurrected for rapture. What is the time difference between that and the second resurrection? Hallelujah. Because Daniel is seeing when they are being taken into the glorious kingdom. Hallelujah. In the rapture of the church. We know based on the Bible, what the Bible says, that after the rapture there are seven years, right? And then they come back. We will read the book of Revelation 19, verse 11 on. The white horse I talked about. And today I'm going to discuss what the voice of the Lord said in the vision. When he said, 
All authority has been given to Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk about that authority today, if the Lord allows me. But, listen very carefully. There is seven years post-rapture, they come back. And then there is the millennium of the reign of Christ. You need to know this. We have to know this, precious people. There is 1,000 years of the reign of Christ when he comes back after the seven years after the rapture. And the 1,000 years of peace. And then after that, the grand finale. The events of the grand finale. Okay? The judgments and all that. So, you can essentially say there is 1,007 years between this resurrection and the next resurrection. Hallelujah. But you see in the vision, the Lord presents them almost together. And so Daniel in his description describes them together. Can we move to the next step now? Now, it is interesting to me and you to find out who are these people that enter I want to be like them. I guess that is the cry and the prayer of your heart, right? That's why you are sitting here. And he describes them. He says, those who are wise and those who lead many to righteousness. If you read verse 4 of Daniel 12, you see Daniel becomes a very significant prophet of the Lord. Verse 4. Let me explain to you. Daniel becomes a very, very significant end-time prophet of the Lord. Why? Because after Daniel was shown, was briefed on all this that was going to happen, look what happened. Then the Lord allowed Daniel to seal the scroll of God. Nobody hurt me again. Let me say this thing carefully. Someone picked it from here. I don't want you to miss this thing. If you read verse 4 of Daniel 12, this is what he says. Before we go to the wise. Verse 4 he says, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Let me explain this. I have seen every single step of the opening, in fact, the breaking of the seals of the scroll of God before the throne room of God. Each one of them, before I went all over the globe and gave the prophecy of what was coming and they became fulfilled, what was coming, each one of them, he brought me before the throne and he showed me the breaking of the seal. However, listen to this now. The scroll of God in heaven has seals. But what is amazing to me is this. Daniel is told to seal the scroll. Daniel is not a simple prophet of the Lord. You remember the lions could not eat him. Do you remember that? Oh, are we together? Oh yes. He is a mighty prophet. Very serious, very fearful prophet. I have met him, so I know. Oh yes. The lions could not touch him. Could not touch him. Cannot eat him. But anyhow... I am now talking in the context of verse 4. That the Lord gave him the duty. The noble duty. 
the chosen role of sealing the scroll of God, the scroll that now, every time the Lord wants to open, He takes me and shows me. The scroll whose breaking and the seal and opening is defining the prophetic timeline. Daniel seals it. Don't miss that. You cannot miss that. Listen, precious people. Why is Daniel raised by the Lord? If you go to Daniel chapter 1, you begin to understand the significance of separation. How Daniel separated out for the Lord. In Daniel chapter 1, chapter 1, when they were still called the Hebrew boys. Do you remember that? And separated out totally for the Lord and refused the kingly diet, the defilement by the world. Do you understand me? And was raised very high in stature by Jehovah. Oh, this is a powerful message here. Hallelujah. Listen to this now. And listen very carefully. Daniel sealed the scroll of God. That touched me. That was very big. The scroll that when you go to the book of Revelation chapter 6, only the Messiah, the Lamb of God, owing to the victory on the cross, has power to break the seals and open. Oh, can I repeat this? This scroll, the scroll of God at the throne of Jehovah in heaven. This scroll, there are secrets written inside the scroll. Secrets of God in heaven, inside the scroll written. When you follow the events from Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, the throne, chapter 5, talking about the scroll, chapter 6, the seals of the scroll. When you follow the events of those books of Revelation, the way the Holy Spirit has documented that, then you find that the opening of the seals of the scroll in chapter 5, first of all, there is a search. Who can open? Who is worthy? Who is able? Who has capacity? Who is worthy enough Powerful enough to break the seals and open the scroll. There is a crisis in chapter 5, right? However, when you move to chapter 6, then in fact you now find that only the Lamb of God, because they say, Oh, weep not. Do not weep. For the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Raiz de David, he has triumphed. He is worthy enough to break the seals and open the scroll. Hallelujah. And you find that every time the lamb opens the seal, breaks the seal, the Lord always takes me before the throne. And that's how I've been prophesying the breaking of the events. But those events essentially demarcate the zero count and the prophetic timeline now. Let me say this properly. The first four seals, they denote, they encode, they reveal, they open up, they release the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But listen to this. Only the Messiah 
has capacity and power to open the seals of the scroll. And yet, on this side, Daniel is the one assigned to seal it. Did you now understand me? That's why I said, I don't want you to miss that part. Hallelujah. So can we move on now? Now listen to me very carefully. Who are these people that Daniel sees and he calls them those who are wise? He sees them entering. Can we begin with the wise? Because he talks about, but you are people, everybody whose name is found written in the book. Who are these people? Turn with me to the book of Job chapter 28. You can read it as much as you can when you're at home. The whole chapter really. But uh, I'm going to begin from verse 20. Are you there? Even 19 is so powerful. I'm just going to read through and then I'll explain to you, right? Who are these wise that Daniel saw? 19 he says, The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Hallelujah. He's talking about wisdom. <laughs> Verse 20 he says, Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached us. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made the decree for the rain and the path for the thunderstorm, he then looked at wisdom and appraised it and confirmed it and tested it. And he said unto men, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Do you understand whom the Lord is talking about here now? Daniel saw the wise entering. There are two subgroups. I'm beginning with the wise. So now I begin to understand the people that Daniel saw entering heaven. The church he saw. It's Proverbs chapter 1 also, verse 7, and so forth. You can read all those. He's talking about the church that lived in the fear of the Lord. Temor de Dios for the other people. They're the language. You understand? Those living in the fear of the Lord. Now that is very powerful. So if we want to be that elect, then we know what we ought to do. And then the question now becomes one. The Lord is hence asking the church in Sydney, the church in Australia, Hey, ever since you received the Lord, have you lived in the wisdom of God? You see, now that is the question being asked here since I began. He's asking, hey, Church of Christ, ever since you received the Lord, have you really lived in the wisdom of the Lord? Let me put it better now. 
He's saying, hey, Church of Christ in Australia, ever since you received Christ, have you really lived in the fear of the Lord? Because it won't come from some imaginary life, imaginary salvation, saying, well, I'm born again, I will enter. No. There must be a practicality. There must be the translation of salvation manifest in our lives. And he's saying that the manifestation of the gospel in your life is your life conforming to the fear of the Lord. And so the question then becomes, let me begin with the number one sin that has tainted the government of the church. The question to Australia then becomes, ever since you received the Lord, are you in the fear of the Lord? Number two, does the wearing of those tight trousers by women in the church constitute the fear of the Lord? <laughs> I think the moment of reality is here now, right? Really now the truth has arrived. Again I repeat, he is now essentially asking, hey, does the smoking that you do after church constitute the fear of the Lord? Does the drinking that you do, the drinking of alcohol, constitute the fear of the Lord? Does the lasting at women that you do in the church constitute the fear of the Lord in your life? It must translate into our lives. <laughs> I say good morning, Australia. It's a new day in the church. He's saying, again I repeat because I don't want to be misunderstood. Does the lying that you see Christians lying constitute the fear of the Lord? Because he's saying, the people that will enter, we know, we have read. That is the wise church. Meaning, the church that lives in the fear of the Lord. There we go. We realize there's so much work to be done in this place, on this one. From the dressing of the young men, the punching of their noses, their ears, the frying of their heads and everything. You know, there is an image of salvation. We need to get back to that old gospel at the cross at Calvary. That is the gospel that has power, brought power for deliverance. I said the wedding ring looked like antique. Something of old. And I say, the Lord made me know, even if I began to look today, all over the earth, I cannot find these rings. Meaning they are not for this time. They are not available anymore. They cannot be found now. Meaning the Lord is saying, I long for my first love. I long for the primitive church. I know that the latter glory is supposed to be higher, greater, more powerful, more authority, more glorious. But, based on the condition of this church, I long for the first church. I really long for the first church. Why? Because Paul comes from Thessaloniki, 
to a meeting in Caesarea Philippi. And in that place, there is a prophet sitting there. He sees him, he remembers the dream. He ties him, and Paul laughs at him and says, No, but I have seen that dream before he left. I know that when I go there, I'm going to be arrested. And he asked him, Jerusalem, are you still going? He said, yes, indeed, I'm going. If they want to, can kill me. If they kill me, I will be with him, right? If I remain, it is to serve him, right? A church that listened from the same voice of the Lord. There are many reasons why he says he longs for that church. You can understand. Today you have apostles with collar, long collar, long collar, a big button, a big button, a shoe, and you know, probably crocodile skin shoe, very expensive, whatever. I don't know those things. But I'm saying they preach money. And they preach about their wives. They ask you, do you know how much it costs me to maintain my wife's hair? They say, do you know how much... When I went to America, they gave me this suit. Meaning, he's enticing you to give him a suit. When the Lord sees these things in these last days, when there is supposed to be major harvest, the Lord has no choice but to long for the first primitive church. They walked Christ. Crucified and resurrected. Listen to me now. Listen to this. Listen to this. When the glory came at Pentecost, I know the glory has come. We bless the Lord tremendous. The power is very big. I want to mention a little bit of the first revival. That you may know how much work we need to do. Or how far today's church has fallen. When the first glory came, Peter stood up. I said, the God-fearing people came from Jerusalem, and they said, no, and these people who are speaking, and these people Galileans, and how come we can hear them speaking in our own mother tongue? Meaning, when the first glory came, there was a communication. The church was able to communicate. Did you understand me? But now listen to something more exciting here. They said, when we hear them talking in our mother tongue, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. Ah! They were not declaring prosperity. Ah! They were not declaring prosperity of this world when the glory came. They were declaring the wonders of God. And if you follow what Peter said when Peter stood up, Peter said, this same Jesus that you abused, that was murdered here, that was crucified and died on the cross, he has died and resurrected and now the Father has exalted him. Ah! When the first glory came, they were communicating with the world. Communication. There was a communication. Meaning we can understand each other. 
And if you follow what they were communicating, they were declaring the wonders of God. Which wonders of God? They were declaring, hey, look, the gospel of the cross and the blood is now established. They were not declaring prosperity in Australia, how you should go to immigration and lie. They were not saying so. Come, I pray for you so you can go and get that thing. And this guy is lying to immigration. We need to rebuke sin first. And say, you know what? If I'm going to pray for you, you first have to repent from sin. And if God wants you to get this green card of Australia, you will get it. But not through lies. <laughs> so, you would have to repent first. Because they were declaring the truth. They were declaring the cross. The blood of Jesus. They were preaching Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Today you are preaching private aircraft, big homes, whatever. I don't know, in Australia, and there's such a pomp in the church in Sydney, there is, there is a disco ongoing. Ah! Which God? Not my God, definitely. Not Jehovah. Because Jehovah, He is holy! If you're worshipping another, that's okay. But as far as I'm concerned, it looks like your Bible and my Bible are two different Bibles. Oh yes. Because my Bible says, there is no more repentance if you abuse the grace. You say, Jesus is not going to the cross again. Did you understand me well? Can we move on now? So listen to what he says here. When we read the book of Job... In the context of this visitation, the glory that comes and hits the ground and takes the church. Listen to what happens. When I, after this visitation, the first meeting I had, I said that this visitation of God the Father himself in itself is also a prophecy. Oh yes, it is also a prophecy to the church. In fact, it is a foretelling of things to happen. First of all, because he's saying we have moved into a different dispensation. We have moved into a different realm, a different reign, where the reign of God is now going to be established. You see that now. But the other part that he's saying, he's, I kept telling people, and I'm going to share the vision now, I kept telling people that something tells me that the same way this glory, he has come like this, because when he came, he took Israel into the promised land. And I said, something tells me, the way he has come like this, when the cloud will lift, he will lift with the church. I kept saying so, until the vision of May 4th, May 5th, and 7th, 2013, which I'm going to share now. When now he showed me what will happen. <laughs> it is tremendous, right? I am glad I am here. Yes. But listen to what he says here. He is talking about the wise that Daniel saw. And if you go to the book of Job as we've read, he says the following. He says, even the duo, destruction and death, do not know where wisdom lives. Implying that even 
the two, the duo, destruction and death. Death and destruction. When they are looking for the people that behold the wisdom of the Lord, they cannot access them. At the time when people are in the bars drinking alcohol on Friday night or in a party, in a party drinking alcohol on a Friday night with beer and wine and pizza, and for you, you are busy reading the Bible or you are in a fellowship somewhere Friday night, and the pressures of Friday night, Saturday night in this country. So, at the time when she will say, or he will say on the other side, that I don't know what happened. I was drunk and I fell in sin with a man or with a woman. And now I am infected or I'm pregnant or I'm aborting or whatever. Or there was a fight and there was a shooting or there was a stabbing with a knife. Whatever the problem is. The next day, when the police is looking for who were drinking in that bar, they will not be looking for you. <laughs> but let me mention something that's even much more fearful. The next day, when they will have drifted away from the presence of the Lord, you will be closer to the Lord. That is the most deadly thing that sin can do. To drift you away from your creator. The next day, when they are saying, I need to go examine myself, I think I have been infected. You will not be in that fear. Why? Because the places where destruction and death will find people, they will not find the beholders of the wisdom of God. Did you understand me? Even for the students in the university. And there's so much pressure in the university, right? Oh yes. Even for the students. You'll be in your room, you'll be listening to Christian music, you'll be compiling your notes for the week. Making summaries, reading and whatever. They will be in the discourse. They will be moving from club to club. They will be going to strip clubs. Whatever they do in this country. They will be in drug addiction, whatever. You will not be found there. Destruction and death cannot find you. Because you have been hidden by wisdom. Did you understand the people Daniel was talking about here? Can I move on now? And he says, the reason you are not there is because you don't fear HIV. No, you don't. But because you fear the Lord. You don't want the Lord to leave you. Hallelujah. And then he talks about a second group. He says, those who lead many to righteousness, those that lead many to righteousness, they will be brighter. Can I first share this vision here? The three visions. May 4th. In a tremendous vision of the Lord. Look at what happens. May 4th, this year, 2013. I saw the same glory of the Lord. This presence of the Lord. Coming all the way from heaven. And then this presence of the Lord hit the ground. And when the glory hit the ground, I saw the entire ground 
became white and as glorious as snowflakes. You know when there's a snowfall, right? It was as though there was a snowfall in the whole land. Very white. Even the grass and the walkway, it followed like this. And I still see it even now as I speak it. That glory, May 4th night, hit the ground and the ground became super glorious with the glory of the Lord. It was like snowflakes. Snow fell. That was the feeling. And I woke up. The next day, May 5th, again, heaven opened and I saw the same presence of the Lord, the same glory, came all the way from heaven and hit the ground again. And the whole ground became super glorious, much more. In fact, so much that I felt was reflecting on my eyes. However, on May 5th, in this other one now, finally, when I looked at the glory, I saw the glory lift. Let me describe this. As the glory lifted, this is what I saw. The same tornado of the glory of the Lord. Look, the first tornado, and inside, the second tornado, inside, and like a storied building, until it touched heaven. And inside there, as the last one lifted like this, I saw people in their glorious bodies being taken. May 5th, 2013. I am giving you hot bread, pan caliente, from the throne of God. Lifting people with their glorious bodies. Of course, May 7th is the one I shared before when he lifted me up towards heaven. And on the way, I saw that my garment was glorious. And then I was seeing the temple from above. That one has been fully discussed. But now this one. So now I understand that when he comes to Israel, he is able to shepherd them into their promised land. When he comes to the church, he is able to shepherd her into her promised land. <laughs> this is it now. And I say it one day. One day I will tell people when that day will have arrived, I will say, this is what I meant. This is what I have been talking about. And I hope I'm not there to tell you this. I hope you are not there to hear this. This is why I was coming to Australia severally. This is why I kept telling you, stay out of the churches that are busy dancing and in a party. So let us prepare for eternity. And that will be a sad conversation. I have seen this glory of the Lord lift with the church. That's why I say it. He is coming alone was prophecy foretelling of what is about to take place. Hallelujah. I want to look at two things. Number one, I want to look at the people that he calls my people. 
Which church is this that he calls my people church? And then I will look at the book that he talks about in this vision, right? Again, if I read Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Hallelujah. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He says, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Meaning Daniel was seeing these days from then. This moment. And then he goes on to say, but at that time, your people, my people, your people. He says, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book will be delivered. Can I explain? Who are these people that the Lord is so fond of? And even before the rapture takes place, he calls them my people. Daniel saw that the Lord was fond of them. He was prepared to preserve this church. We have now found out who the wise are. That is the church walking the fear of the Lord. So if you want to enter, you know what to do. And I gave you some practical examples. I asked you, does the wearing of that tight trouser in the house of the Lord constitute the fear of the Lord? Does the exposing of that breast constitute the fear of the Lord? Does the lying or the false prophecy or the false apostolism, whatever it is, does that constitute the fear of the Lord? So you can really bring it down into the practicality of your salvation. So you know what to do. So can we move on to the next step now? And also find who are these? We saw that those who lead many into righteousness, they are even brighter than the wise. But now look at this today. He says, if those who are wise enter bright like the heavens. He says now, for those who lead many into righteousness, they are brighter like the stars shooting out forever and ever. Meaning, I will give everybody according to what they have done. Behold, I come and my reward is in my hand. If you let people in righteousness, greater reward. That's why I was talking about the judgment seat. We don't have time to go into that depth. But look at this now. The question then becomes, ever since you became Christian or you became a pastor, let me begin with the Christians. Ever since you became a Christian in this nation of Australia, have you really led people to the righteousness of the Lord? Can I rephrase it? Has your salvation really led people into the righteousness of the Lord? And I think that's a very serious question. If you look at the dressing of the Muslims and compare with the dressings of the church, has the church in Australia really led people into the righteousness of the Lord? In your practice as a believer, as a born again, as a Christian, has your life evangelized the righteousness of the Lord to the heathen, to the world. The opposite, I think, is true. The opposite is true. 
that in the salvation that the church has led in this city and in this country, many have refused Christ. We don't want. I cannot, I cannot. She's running around with men. She was with this one, now she's with another. I cannot because they seem to be all about money. When I went to that church, money, 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 I gave up. I, I don't want it. I cannot because I could tell that that man was lying when I was in the church. Has the church in her practice really led people into the righteousness of the Lord? That is what this vision is asking the church. That is the probing of the church by this conversation. That is the awakening, by the way, in this country. Even as you have done your salvation, have you really led people into the righteousness of the Lord? The opposite is true. When they came here, sometimes they found that there is greater sin in the church than in the world. And they ran away. Sometimes people lost their innocence in the church. Isn't that a wake-up call for the church? Let us move on now. And he's saying, how about the pulpit? Ever since you became a minister of the gospel, a pastor, have you really led your church into the righteousness of the Lord. Your church. Begin with your church. Have you really led your church into the righteousness of the Lord? And if the answer is no, can we talk? Can we discuss this? What is it that has stopped you from leading your church into the righteousness of the Lord? If you are a woman pastor, is it those men in the church who are financing you. They pay my rent. They are always around me. They make me feel safe. Is that the relationship that is keeping you from allowing the Holy Spirit to use you to bring righteousness to the world? Even to the church. Remember, without righteousness, your church will go to hell. Remember that righteousness is the only aspect, the only thing that lasts forever and ever. That makes the church imperishable. Only righteousness separates the church from the other religions. Otherwise, same. If you are a male pastor, whichever, is it the false prophecies you are involved in that is keeping you from bringing righteousness to the church? And can you stop it tonight? That Jesus may have his way? Because sometimes you say, no, I am a prophet. No. And you know the Lord has not called you into that office. And you know for as long as you are doing so, you are perpetrating falsehood, deception and lies in that church. That church cannot realize righteousness. Is it the women who are financing you in the church? You know there is that phenomenon in church. They come in, they say we are the main financiers. I'm one of the few who have some serious stable jobs. And we meet with the pastor, we discuss the rent this month. 
we will discuss serious projects. Does that stop you from bringing righteousness to your church? Then guess what? You rather cut it. In the book of Ezekiel, he tells Israel, your parents were armorized, what he mentions those, and then he says, you need to cut the umbilical cord. He tells Israel, you must cut the umbilical cord and stop feeding, feeding from, from the beast, <laughs> the stomach of the beast. I think we need to cut the umbilical cord that we may become independent. In fact, dependent on the Lord alone. We cannot be serving the Lord and we are sucking from the stomach of the beast. He says, for me I said, until today, I still believe that Jehovah is a very good God. Until today, I have not seen another reason for not believing. I said, I have not yet slept at the door of the city public toilet with a blanket that I may now begin to come and lie. And even if I slept there, it could be something the Lord is passing me through. That does not stop him from being Jehovah and does not ever stop him from being holy. Let us be careful. Isaiah walked for three years with a torn cloth, naked. Right? He still remained Jehovah, the God of Israel. Hallelujah. Let us be careful. Sometimes we are looking for comfort and sweet and so much comfort. But let me tell you, I think time comes when we need to choose the Lord squarely without compromise. And that is the only way you can become vessels for this hour. Vessels for this glory. I'm not promising you suffering and trials and tribulations and whatever. I'm only saying that the Lord that feeds the birds and watches over them so well every day and clothes the lilies more than Solomon in the splendor of his wealth is able to take care of you, the children of Jehovah. And without corruption, right? Can we move on now? Who are these people that he calls my people? Let us go right away to the book of Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, before I discuss the book and the authority of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 6. I'm reading from verses 14 on. Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 on. He says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? He says, Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Did you see the my people church? 
And he says, verse 17, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. And he says further on, Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, what is the message that this speaks to us in this conversation of the vision of the rapture of the church that Daniel saw and the Lord showed me? He's saying that there is a special people called the elect of God. You can almost call them the select of God. And he's saying, these special people, he calls them my people. Meaning, he loves them, he's fond of them. In fact, to the extent, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. At some place, we are going to read another one where he says, and they will call on my name and I will answer them. I'm sure you want to be among these people. And so the question then becomes, if you are a pastor, are you preparing a church, a people unto the Lord? That's the first question that comes up. When you look at your church, are you preparing a people unto the Lord, a church unto the Lord? Or you are just pastoring as a profession, as a livelihood? Now listen to this now. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying that the people that Daniel saw, the Lord called his people. He's fond of them. He loves them. He says he's a separated church. He's saying that church is a separated church. That church does not mix light with darkness. Are we together? Now that you may know, if you want to be the my people church, then it is there now. Then you know you can never mix darkness with light. That's what he's saying here. And that raises, it screams out the first question, the first cry to Australia, to Sydney, to Brisbane, to Melbourne, Perth. And the question becomes, is the church of Christ in Australia, is this Australian church really a my people church? Is it a church unto the Lord? How? How will you know that this church is really God's people? The Lord's people. And he says, they cannot mix light with darkness. Because light plus darkness always equal to darkness. Are we together? I'm going to repeat this. He's saying, that the only way you know whether the church in Australia, this church, is a my people church, a people unto the Lord, is when there is no mixing of the light they have with the darkness. And he says, why? Because light plus darkness in this salvation is always equal to darkness. 
there is no mixing. Light plus darkness is darkness. Meaning, when you take consecrated meat from a feast, and you say, let me take some home, and you use your cloth, which is unconsecrated, to wrap it and tie it, does that meat still remain consecrated? That's what he's saying. And so, when you look at the entire church in Australia, then you can understand that there is a tragedy in the land. Right? Oh yes, there is a spiritual tragedy here. Now you can understand that the nation has been hit by a tragedy. Because when you look at the church, you find that they have mixed the two. Yeah. On one hand, she is a Christian, or he is a Christian. On one hand, he wants to do some worldly things. And yet he's saying that the people that Daniel saw entering, that the Lord calls my people, they were a separated church. The church that are separated from the world. And the more modern a nation becomes, the worse it tends to be. To the extent that they almost don't see the relevance of the Lord anymore. Why? Because if you want to go to Brisbane, the road is clear. In fact, it has signs. It tells you turn left. And keep going. And then you have a GPS. Right? You have a GPS. And the GPS can tell you how many kilometers are left. The GPS will tell you where to turn, when to turn. And in the smart vehicles you have, it will tell you how much fuel will take you. But I am here to tell you that GPS is not God. Stop worshipping GPS. I see there is a serious worship going on here in this nation. They are worshipping GPS machines. To them it is God. I'm here to tell you that good roads that makes it reliable for you to arrive. But I'm here also to tell you that good roads are not God. Stop worshipping them. I see the whole nation is in a serious worship. They are worshipping cancer hospitals. Sometimes you need bad rods that you may worship Jehovah. Sometimes you need bad hospitals that you may worship the Lord. If that is what will take you to heaven, so be it, right? Yeah, because I see there is a serious worship here. You are worshipping good hospitals and good doctors. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
They walked for many years in the wilderness. They did not see even one dentist. Right? <laughs> hmm? Oh yes. Good roads. I think good homes are God. I think they are so beautiful they must be God. <laughs> That's what Australians say. But I'm here to tell you, good homes are not good. Sometimes you need a bad home that leaks for you to pray, Lord, tonight I don't want the rain on me. And then you can worship the Lord. That is important. Because the modernism, the post-modernism that has eaten up this country is what has eaten into the church. Where now the relevance of the Lord has been trivialized, minimized. The generation of children you are raising up, the younger ones, almost don't see God. They almost don't see Him. You really have to do a lot of work to bring God to them. Or to bring them to the Lord. And I say it, that let the others know that surely, surely, it is possible even in Australia. That you can preserve your purity. That you can preserve your salvation. He's saying here, that the my people church that enters the kingdom of God does not mix worship. He says, you cannot worship Jehovah and another. That means there has to be pure worship. Only the blood of Jesus. Even the preaching, you cannot preach the blood and you are lasting at money here and you are using the gospel to manipulate here. He says, no. He says, what fellowship is there between the house of the Lord and the tabernacle of Satan? And he goes on and on and on to tell you what the true characteristics, the true identity of the my people church is, that you may follow it. The Bible was meant to be a compass to direct you on which way to go to enter. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Zechariah 13, 7 and 8. Can I share something deeper a little bit now? Before we go to Zechariah 13, 7 and 8, on another characteristic of the My People Church. You remember in the Garden of Eden, in that garden, that garden was called Paradise, Paradiso. Was called Paradise. That garden was called Paradise. Why? If I asked you now, where is your paradise? Where is your paradise? Don't tell me it's Sydney. Paradise is in heaven. Paradise essentially defines the highest state of blessedness. The highest state of blessedness ever achievable. And that can only be in heaven, right? The highest state of peace ever achievable. That can only be in heaven, right? We all know that. 
And if the Lord called the garden paradise, then that means in the original blueprint of the creation of the church, the Lord intended that death would not be part of the equation. Can I say it better? I'm now talking about restoration of the church. But I'm beginning from there and then I'll bring it this way. Let me say this. In that garden, there was the tree of life. In that garden, when he created them, death was not factored in, in the original blueprint. Why? Because he knew they were going to worship obedience. And as long as they worshipped obedience, they would never see death. That is there. He knew that they would worship righteousness. And for as long as they worshipped righteousness, death had no room. He knew that they were supposed to worship holiness. And that for as long as they worshipped holiness, they had eternity, eternal life with God. There was no death in the factor, in the equation. Until the events of Genesis 3. When you see the perversion of the word by the enemy, asking, questioning and so forth. Why? In Genesis 3, he's saying in Genesis 3, and then you see they fall, they're falling away. And when the fall comes in, then now you hear that death has been factored in. Walk with me on this, right? However, if you look at Genesis 3 8, verse 8, you see that essentially, Man, Adam and Eve, used to walk with God in the cool of the day. They walked with God. How awesome. They walked with the Lord on a daily basis. How powerful. And he warned them, don't do this because if you do that, you'll die. Meaning, he knew they were going to obey. And if you obeyed, death was not there. Isn't our God capable of doing that? Jehovah is capable of doing that. Hallelujah. However, and I'm saying, Genesis 3.8, you see, the original plan was that you, the church, may walk with God. Ah! This is powerful now that this has happened also. Right? But first, I'm talking about restoration of the church. Then I'm going to come to this walk here. Right? But let me fetch it from there first. Before I talk about this cloud of the glory that has now come to walk with the church like he walked with Israel. In Genesis chapter 3, 1 onwards, you see the fall. The disobedience. The termination of worshipping obedience. 
And when you look at Genesis 3.8, then you understand the true original plan was that they may walk with God on a daily basis and never ever see death. That was the plan for the church. However, after the fall, when the judgment comes, then what do you see? You see the two cherubi of glory. And by the way, I have seen the two cherubi. They are two of glory, and each one of them has a different role. However, you now see the two cherubi of glory at the door with flaming swords. Wow! Meaning the earth was here. The earth of the covenant was in the garden. <laughs> the throne was there. Huh? You need to go into the Bible and begin looking for that river, the Pishon and so forth, the land of Havila. Probably they disappeared, but you need to give yourself food for thought. But can you follow this now? Walking with God in the cool of the day. Genesis 3.8 when there is a fall, a disappointment, there is now the judgment. However, when you go to Genesis 5, chapter 24, can we read it? Are you ready with me? Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. What does he say? Are you there? He says, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away. Hallelujah. When he gave birth to Methuselah, then for 300 years he walked with God. You live about, let's say, can I give you 100 or 90? Whichever you want. But for him, 300 years walking with God. Wow, that means even 1,000 years he can make you walk with him. Listen to this. When I see the way Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, meaning God took him away, raptured him, he saw no death, he did not see death, then I understand the original blueprint for the creation of the church in the garden. Are we together? I think some serious food needs to be given to you here. And if you read, look at this now. If you read the scriptures therein, the motifs flanking both sides of that Genesis 5.24. If you read there, you see some people there. And so and so lived for this time and died. So and so lived for this time and died. So and so lived for these years and died. But Enoch walked with God and was no more. Lived and died. Lived and died. Walked with God and was no more. Be careful now. Are you walking with God in the church? Some people are living in the church, right? Be careful now. But look at this now. The original plan was this. That mankind would walk with God and would never see death. I want you to see the consequences of apostasy. 
And if you got the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5, look at what it says there. Hebrews 11 5. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. Hebrews 11 5 it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who was pleasing God. Who pleased God? Verse 6. Verse 6 he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then you go now to the book of Jeremiah 29, 13, where it says, You will seek me, and when you seek me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your life, then I will be found by you. Do you understand now? He's saying that Enoch walked with God, but the engine... The fuel that separates Enoch from Adam, Adam and Eve, they fall and they lose the eternity, the original blueprint. But Enoch now, the engine that propels his work with God is this, faithfulness, faith. And he says, for without faith it's not possible, he says. So you can imagine, at the end there he says, those who honestly seek him, in that context, meaning, in that faith, Enoch continued to seek God, seek God, seek God, seek God, seek God, seek God. And he sought him until the Lord said, enough is enough, I take you away. Enough is enough. You have so much zeal, I cannot handle this. Do you understand me? And so, now the glory of the Lord has come to walk with the church. The glory of the Lord has now come to the church. And now you understand why he came. He wants to walk with the church until she will be no more. Raptured. Are we together? Oh yes, I need to give you these things so you may understand. We are so blessed. We have the glory on our side here. We have the glory here. Wow. So that means God has remembered us. Right? We can exploit this to the max until we enter. Capitalize on this. Because how about if the glory had visited the other side of the Atlantic? <laughs> to start getting flight tickets. And to start paying conference fees of $2,000. And they make deals with hotels. They make deals with who? They, oh, 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 oh. They would have made a bomb out of it, right? And that's why I'm saying, now that the glory is on our side, I think it is time to really exploit this and enter. Now we can direct the world. We can tell them which way to go. Now we have a voice. He says, there are so many there. 
They lived and died. Lived and died. But Enoch walked with God and was snatched away. Was no more. Was taken away. And he said, now that the glory has come, there is a certain church. Now that the Lord himself has come, there is somebody in Australia that is going to be aware that, hey, the Lord is in the house. And will begin to walk with God, walk with God, walk with God, seeking God, until the Lord will say, enough is enough, I take you away. Oh yes, that is the message that comes from Enoch. Meaning, the Lord is saying that when Adam and Eve fell and he brought Jesus of Nazareth to the cross, Jesus restored the church fully back to the Enoch status of walking with God. Meaning, if you are born again today, you have the capacity to walk with the Lord in the house. The church was fully restored on the cross by Jesus. After having fallen at the garden, fully restored to the original Enoch stature. Where anybody now who is born again has capacity, has the propensity, the ability to walk with God until they are raptured, until they don't see death. That's why I've come. I told you, I told you my God would come. He's saying, he walked with Israel faithfully. Faithfully for 40 years until they entered. How much more at this hour when the glory of the Christ is now about to be revealed. The darling of heaven. The one and only son. How much more will he walk with you the bride? Does somebody understand me? I think we need to get serious on our salvation. Hallelujah. Isn't this powerful? This is the message I brought. If you ask me where the checks you brought for us, I said that I may not have. But the Christ, the Christ I have, that I will give you. He said, we have a real opportunity, like Enoch, to walk with God. How awesome. And if you follow down into the book of Jude, I think, you see that God loved Enoch so much, that in fact, Enoch, you can essentially say Enoch was a, a quiet, a silent prophet. Because the Lord showed him the events, not of rapture, of the second coming. He showed him the Jerusalem events. That's why you find Enoch prophesying that God will punish the ungodly for their ungodly act that they did in the most ungodly way. When he comes now in the splendor of his angels. Enoch sees the Jerusalem coming. Our God is like this. Look. He is just. When Daniel separated in chapter 1 from the kingly diet, the wines and the pork, the shrimps, 
And the tortoise says, I don't know what the king of Babylon eats. That's what I'm saying. You wouldn't know, would you? Maybe snakes and tortoises and pokes and what. I don't know. I'm only saying things. I'm saying them in the name of the Lord, right? He refused. Daniel said that, hey, but in Jerusalem, we never ate this food. How do I begin now to start eating this here? And yet in Jerusalem, we were never raised on this. Our identity does not allow us to defile. If you look at what he says, please, don't allow me to defile myself in this way. Separation. And owing to that separation, the Lord treasured Daniel, and I told you today, Daniel sealed the scroll that only the Messiah could open at the end in these days. We have a real opportunity here. The opportunity has availed itself for the church. <laughs> Listen to this now. For the church, when Israel followed the cloud, they became the people whose God is Jehovah from that time until today. The whole world knows. We have a real opportunity here too. To follow the cloud of the Lord, to become the church that everybody knows, hey, they are the people whose God is Jehovah. I want it to happen here. That it be known, as you walk with the Lord, they say, those are the people whose God is Jehovah. Hallelujah. God is feared in that land. The reason for which I'm here is that there be days before the rapture, when revival enters the church, when now the people of Australia, if you want to be healed, there is a people there. That is the church whose God is Jehovah. People are being healed there. And you'd rather make sure that you are also incorruptible. Because there is the maintenance of the integrity of the gospel. What has happened today to the church globally, that's why the Lord shows them to me. Some of them, the Lord brings me in a dream and normally gives me a Bible. The hand of the Lord in the dream gives me a Bible. The way he gave me NIV when he called me, the hand gave me NIV. But he gives me a Bible and says, can you give it to him? You are so-called motivational preachers, right? Motivational you know, people who are meant to cheer the flesh, eh? He says, can you take this Bible and give this man and tell him to preach from it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. The truth must be spoken here that when you leave this place, you have been set free completely. Nobody lied to you again. Oh, I'm an inspirational speaker. I'm a motivational speaker. There are those who are just good for fundraising. Come in the morning, he's wearing another suit, 
and he's doing his thing on the altar. He's doing this. He's saying, I paid a big offering. And then someone came with the key of an aircraft like this and gave to me. <laughs> Sometimes even you cannot believe that, right? I mean, the Lord is able to do everything. But can it be done through corruption? Should it be done through corruption? You see that? There is the integrity of the pulpit to be maintained. Because this pulpit here can lead an entire nation into eternity. Something you cannot buy with all the money from the central bank. Integrity. Today, the pulpit has lost integrity. And the Lord is saying, the opportunity has availed itself for us to walk with God like Enoch did. Because the glory of the Lord has come. Has finally come. The Lord himself is here. You can walk with him. And there is a church that will continue to live in the house until she dies. While there is a church, a remnant church, that has now just discovered that the Lord is in the house. And will begin to start walking with the Lord. Until she will enter. Did you understand the message? But you've seen the restoration, right? The restoration from Adam into Enoch. And the Messiah comes and restores us back to the stature that was intended. However, I want to mention this to you. When the church was restored at Calvary. Restored fully to the original blueprint where we can walk with God. Their safeguards, their caveats, their warnings, their provisions that have been given to the church. And I mentioned them in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 19 to 22. And also the book of Numbers chapter 15. I think verse 30 to 37. Whichever. Those are safeguards. That warn about the abuse of the grace at this hour. The dangers and the tragedy of abusing the grace at this hour. He says. When Adam and Eve fell. Then the Messiah came to restore that. However, now, if the church will fall and abuse the grace and say that the first Calvary was not sufficient enough to restore her, that is what is called a tragedy. Why? Because the Messiah will never ever go back to the cross. That is now the completion of the sermon I gave on Enoch. That be careful. He has given us an opportunity here. That we may repent. The glory is in the house. Joel talked about it. He said, when the glory comes, your sons, your daughters, the servants, both men and women, 
would be inundated, flooded with the glory of the Lord. And he says, they would dream dreams and see visions. But the dreaming of dreams and seeing of vision has one purpose. That purpose is that the life of God, the life of God in heaven will now enter. In other words, the life-giving spirit of the Lord will now flow into the church. That is Ezekiel 47 verses 1 to verse 6. The river that he crossed was to the ankle. He went further, thousand cubits was to the knee, another thousand cubits to the waist, another thousand cubits became a river he could not cross. You have to be swept in the direction of the current. And I saw that river. And then, what amazed me, the Lord showed me some ministries that were trying to swim against the current. And I was so afraid. I don't know why, in the way the Lord constructed in the dream, He constructed their boats like boats made out of baskets. You know a basket, the way you, you weave a basket. Porous, water could enter. And so the boats were about, it was tremendous to look at it. They decided to go against the current and they drowned right before my eyes. There are some ministries, there are some boats. The majority of ministries, the majority of the boats in Australia are right now attempting to row against the current. But something tells me that there is a tsunami current that has come. You can never try against it, right? It's quite a tsunami, right? You cannot stand it. Can you go against this current? It will be a tragedy. There are lots of ministries in this land that are right now trying to row to swim, to row their boats against the current. But they will all drown. I have seen the drowning. That's the prophecy I'm giving here today. And drowning with their inhabitants therein. So ask yourself, the church I am in, is this boat moving in the direction of the current? Isaiah 47 verses 1 to 6. Or we are attempting to go against the current. The current now is leading the church towards heaven. Towards righteousness. Towards holiness. Can you go against that? How will you survive? There is so much I want to give you on this restoration. Because when you see the works of Isaiah 53... That is indeed the price that was paid to restore the first fall. Because it says, and Enoch had faith. In Hebrews 5 we read, right? Faith is what propelled him to be faith, to walk with God. Then we begin to understand the apostasy that took place in the garden. It was actually the falling away from faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing God. Not believing in. I'm just saying, believing God. 
If God says it will happen today, it will happen today. You just take him for his word, right? That means when he instructed them, they failed to take him for his word and they listened to a second opinion. Do you understand that? So, apostasy in the garden became the failure to believe God. And now, it was restored at Calvary. But when I look at the church, it's as though she's crying for another Calvary. No, 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 no. no. The Lord is saying, there will not be another Calvary. He's saying, this is the window that Joel prophesied. That when the glory comes, dreams, visions in the church, and those dreams and visions bring the wisdom of God. Meaning, if somebody is going to come and preach here, and in a dream you see them walking with gumboots of mud, 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 and leaving marks of mud here. At least you can lift one hand and ask your pastor, Pastor, this preacher you say that is coming on Monday, how come I'm seeing him walking here with mud and gumboots? And the pastor will understand what that means. What the Lord will have said, right? That is the purpose of dreams and visions. For me it's interesting because sometimes when people are coming to meet me, I get to know who it is. I get to see people before they come, who it is. And if they are going to lie to me, I also get to know. So did you understand that? So, the purpose of dreams and visions is to clean out the falsehood from the church. Satan is the father of all falsehood, all lies. When you clean out falsehood in the church, that means you establish the truth in the church. And when you establish the truth, that means you have established the word of God. The reason there will be the abomination that causes the desolation after the rapture is because the word, the truth will have been removed, taken up. And there will now be room for all counterfeit kind of miracles and name it and lies and the worshipping of another. Can I also mention something now? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 because some of you are philosophical. You are involved in do you believe in pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, whatever. Can we settle that today? Oh yes. Then we can just prepare for the Messiah. Right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 he says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then he says, then the lawless one will be revealed. Let us now settle that debate once for all. Okay? Listen to this now. He's saying, that the spirit of Antichrist is already in operation. The constitutions, every country is throwing out God. You know all these things. However, he's saying, the person of Antichrist will not be revealed until he that holds him back is taken out of the way. Can I explain this? 
In other words, he's saying that there is somebody that is holding the person of the Antichrist back now. Who is this person? The Holy Spirit is the one holding him back. The Holy Spirit is the only one with the capacity to hold him back. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 16, we just read. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and from verse 12 on, if you read it and you come to verse 15, and 15 he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite with the prostitute? Never. Verse 16. Do you not know?